Again, thank you for being with us this morning. This is part four of our, of our series that I developed called uh, Life is Not a Sitcom. I, I've tried very hard over the last few weeks to come up with a, with a video clip from a sitcom to kind of introduce uh, the topic for the day as we go through it. Uh, this one was a struggle. I, I've never seen what we're going to talk about today practiced uh, in any sitcom. Uh, I've, I've never seen it promoted really, in our it's foreign to our culture, uh, but it's vital to abundant living. Uh, the, the issue is, is seen as uh, being alone, and it's experienced in our culture as loneliness, but what we're talking about is the biblical discipline of solitude. But because our, our culture doesn't practice it, because it's so foreign to us in the Western world, what we see solitude as is loneliness. And so th- th- this is the best clip I could come up with to introduce it. Here it is. <laughs> Part of the problem in our culture, in our sitcom world, is that we don't know how to handle being alone. So being alone turns into loneliness, and we miss the spiritual discipline of what we could practice called solitude. I've never seen it in any sitcom. I've never seen it in our culture, in engagement or in practice, and I've rarely ever heard about it talked about in the church. Now, there are times in our lives where we experience solitude and we immediately go to the place of loneliness and we reject it and revolt against it. We, we, we want to be around noise and activity and other people. There are other times in our lives where because of what we're going through, we, we, we desperately desire solitude. We want to be alone. We've had enough of the activity and chaos around us. So my last night, my son Joe is back from South Dakota, and his family is going to join him in a few weeks there. He came back uh, for, uh, for the weekend, and as a result, he and Miranda had a chance to go out last night with some of their friends and reconnect with some people, which is fantastic. And they asked Shelly and I if we would, we would babysit Miles and Waylon. Miles is three, and Waylon is a few months old. And of course, Miranda asked Shelly if we would. <laughs> and of course, my wife said, Absolutely. And one of us came up with the idea to take them to John's Incredible Pizza. The other one said, sure. What I learned about John's Incredible Pizza is that it is a perhaps an improved version of Chuck E. Cheese for older kids and a poor man's versions of Dave and Buster's. And, and, and I didn't know. I didn't know. We got our game card, and I was with Miles, and I swiped the game card, and he paid attention to the game as long as he could, and went running off, and Shell went after him. And I'm standing at this game console, and it says I won 10 tickets. So I'm like, well, great. Where's my tickets? Now I'm looking at the front of this game and it's not giving me my tickets. 
Because I know when I was a kid playing games, you got tickets when it said you won tickets. And so I'm waiting for my tickets, and I'm standing there going, what is wrong with this world? I deserve tickets. And these little kids walk up, and they want to play the game. I said, don't bother. It's broken. It doesn't work. And they said, what's wrong? I said, it's not giving me my tickets. And they looked at me. I said, well, go ahead. I'll watch you play. We'll see if it works for you. And they kind of looked at me, and they kind of walked off. And another family walked up, and the dad kind of looks at me. I said, I'm waiting for my tickets. He said, well, they don't, they don't give you tickets. They show up on your game card. I'm like, what is this magic, this El Diablo? <laughs> it's just, I'm like, whatever. And so, you know, he played it, and I guess I got credits on my card. I don't know. We walked around that night, ate some incredible pizza. And the second half of the night, I took Miles while Shelly attended to Wayland for a little bit. This is how the second half of my night went. Good job, Miles. Good job, Miles. Oh, you're driving. That's me in the back of that vehicle taking the video. We walked up to the car circle driving machine game. And Miles says, pop, pop, ride. I said, well, go ahead. He said, no, you ride, you ride. I'm like, I don't, don't want to ride. <laughs> pop, pop, you ride. Okay, all right, all right. So I gave little gal my little card. She swiped 12 tickets for Miles and 12 tickets for me. And he climbed in the front of that little vehicle. He said, pop, pop, sit here. I said, pop, pop's not fitting in that thing. <laughs> I said, that's not going to happen. Well, it was a two-seater with an open back, and so I climbed into the back, and I sat down with my knees up. Thought I'd go for some solitude right now. And the little gal walked by, and she stopped at the open of the little opening of the car, and she pulled a one-inch black strip of Velcro tape to lock me in. I said, Jessica. Hold on. I have two issues with this. One, you think that I'm capable of falling out of this ride. And two, you think that's going to keep me from falling out of this. <laughs> she said, I'm sorry, we have to. By the way, you also have a seat belt you need to buckle. I said, I ain't doing it. I ain't doing it. <laughs> So I had to put my seatbelt on so we could go on the ride. And, and at the end of what had to be about nine and a half hours of John's Incredible Pizza, we, we got in the car to go home, very thankful for time with my grandsons and very thankful to be home alone. I went to bed, Shell took care of the kids. They finally came, picked them up. I don't know what time because I was asleep. <laughs> That we have seasons of in, our, in our lives when, when, we, when we're alone and all we feel is lonely, right? Because we haven't learned how to exist in solitude. We have seasons in our lives 
days and weeks and, and longer where it feels like we barely have time to think. Where the busy work schedule has such demands, we have no time for ourselves. When, when, when young parents have kids at home and days blurs into nights that blur into days that blur into nights. Students who are balancing the busy work life, school life and work life and other things going, it's just busy. What I want to talk about is the idea of, is this practice of solitude and being alone but not being lonely. There's a vast difference. And we have to learn to be alone without being lonely. And we have to learn to practice and schedule solitude in the midst of an overcommitted schedule. And so I want to share two definitions with you before we get into this. They're very important definitions for us to understand. This, top, this issue of solitude is not about a vacation. It's not about a nap. The topic of solitude is about a thing called spiritual disciplines. And the first definition is what spiritual disciplines are. Spiritual disciplines are practices found in the Bible that produce spiritual, that promote spiritual growth. Practices that we see in scripture that are for the purpose of promoting spiritual growth are known as, we call them spiritual disciplines. So there's a lot of different spiritual disciplines. Prayer is a spiritual discipline. It's a practice in the Bible that promotes spiritual growth. Scripture reading and memorization and meditation is a spiritual discipline. Why? Because it's found in the Bible and it promotes spiritual growth. Listen, this is why we talk about tithing as a spiritual discipline because it's taught in the Bible and it teaches, spirit, promotes spiritual growth. Do you understand? And so solitude is a spiritual discipline. Why? Because it's found in the Bible and it promotes spiritual growth. And so the second definition I want to share with you is what solitude is. Solitude is the discipline that calls us to consciously pull away from everything else in life, including the company of people, for the purpose of giving our full and undivided attention to God. This is the spiritual discipline of solitude. And the vast majority of Christ followers do not ever regularly practice this. And it's to great detriment to us, to our families, to our faith. Solitude is those moments where we constantly pull away from everything that allows to hear the voice of God. Now, here's the challenge with hearing the voice of God. The challenge for individuals to hear the voice of God is because they don't have a regular intake of God's word. And the reason why that's a challenge is when we don't have a regular consistent intake of God's word, it's hard to judge between our thoughts and God's words. Do you understand? It was like so many people who dearly and desperately do want to follow God end up asking other people, what does God say? What should I do? 
How do I handle? Because there's not a regular intake of God's word, they can't hear God's voice and judge between their thoughts and God's words, so they seek an intermediary to go between them and God to tell them. And all the while, Jesus is saying, that's me. That's my job, Jesus says. I'm your intermediary. You don't go through anybody else to tell you what God says and what God thinks and what your next steps because you go straight, straight to me. But because we don't practice solitude and haven't learned to train ourselves to hear his voice through the intake of his word, we sacrifice Christ as our intermediary and we ask someone else to be that for us. Here's the purpose of solitude. The purpose of solitude is to learn to see and to hear. See, it's in solitude that we see God's hand. In the past and the present, that we see with confidence it coming in the future. It's in solitude that we hear the voice of God speak, primarily through his word that we've already put in our hearts that he reminds us of and brings to our attention. But because we don't practice solitude, it's very difficult for us to consistently see and hear. Psalm 46.10. Be still. Know that I'm God. It's real hard to be still when there's a constant barrage of outside input. It's no surprise that the greatest people in Scripture regularly practiced solitude. I would say this, knowing that, one cannot be a person of great faith without the practice of solitude. Can't do it. Jesus is perhaps the greatest example of one in Scripture practicing solitude and the incredible vitality of faith in the hand of God through that life, through him. Because he regularly, 22 times in the four gospels, it specifically mentions Christ seeking solitude with his father. And this is why, get this, this is why solitude is never lonely. Because in solitude, we're with the father and the son and the Holy Spirit, and then there's us. That's a group of four. How can you be lonely in a group of four? Consider those who practice solitude. Moses, who met regularly alone with God at the tabernacle. Elijah, alone with God in the wilderness when God spoke to him. Jacob, miraculous encounter with the God of heaven because he was alone at night with him. David and the psalmist, nearly all the psalms were written by people in solitude. John the Baptist lived a life of solitude in the wilderness and was called the greatest of all the prophets. What else shall we say then about Abraham and Gideon and Jonah and Paul and on down the list? Consider again Jesus himself, 22 times in four gospels where it mentions Jesus purposefully sought solitude with his father. He began his public ministry after 40 days 
of solitude with the Father. He often withdrew to solitary places to be alone with the Father. After he performed miracles, he withdrew to be alone with the Father to debrief and decompress and talk to the Father about what the hand of God had done through him. In times of grief, he was in solitude with the Father. Before making important decisions and choosing the 12 disciples, he was with the Father alone in solitude. In the distress in Gethsemane, he was in solitude with the Father. Solitude was a practice of Jesus' life. So important was solitude that he made and commanded and forced the disciples to practice it. Gone and read sometime, Mark 6. When the disciples as a group were overworked and terribly busy with an impacted schedule, because we all know that's how life gets sometimes, doesn't it? Absolutely it does. And immediately out of that season of business, Jesus made them withdraw in solitude. If this is the course and this is the practice and this is the life, not just of great people in the Bible, but of Christ himself, why would we think that we don't need to also practice it? Here's how I say it. If we're too busy to practice solitude, we're too busy. Someone said this once. Everyone thinks of changing the world, but no one thinks of changing themselves. How much of us, how much of the how much of us as citizens have thought about how much the world needs to change lately? And how many of us said, you know what, I gotta, I guess it has to start with me. Friends, this is what solitude does. Has nothing to do with anybody else has everything to do with me and God. Consider for a moment how normal it has become for us to be out of balance. Everything we're looking at in this series, Life is Not a Sitcom, has to do with us being out of balance. Why? Because that is the culture that we've grown up in. That's what's promoted. That's what's presented. An out-of-balanced people. Listen. We talked about debt. If you're in debt, because you're out of balance. Right? <laughs> when there's sexual sin, it's because you're out of balance. If we're too busy and impacted for solitude, it's because we're out of balance. See, being out of balance is a result of a sitcom life. And it's all so common. The good news is that God has a remedy in his word. Now if he can just get us, his people, to pay attention and practice it. I'm going to tell you part of the benefit of the regular practice of solitude. Solitude is the best practice for renewal of your energy. Now I know what it is to get tired and overworked and exhausted. And most of us think in those times, I just need a nap, right? I need to get away and I need it. And that may be true. You may need a nap, but you need more than a nap. You need more than a nap. Now, here's, here's the thing. I'm, I'm teaching this to people who, 
who claim to already follow Jesus. And if you claim to already follow Jesus, this is the expectation for Jesus' followers who want to grow up in their faith. This is the expectation. Now, you can be a Jesus follower without practicing this. You're just not following Jesus very much because this, this is what he did. Does that make sense? Like you still get to go to heaven, which is awesome. But you miss a lot of heaven on earth. Now, for those who haven't yet chosen to follow Jesus, I'm going to tell you this much, that you've destined yourself to always be seeking for what you will never find. And all of the benefits that solitude, that God designed for solitude to create in us will be vacant and missing from your life. So you'll be exhausted and you'll, uh, you'll try to solve it with naps. Hadn't worked yet, it's not going to work. Because when a Christ follower practices solitude with God, it is the best remedy for the renewal of energy. It's also the best, best practice to prevent burnout. It, it, preventing burnout doesn't come from you volunteering more at church and getting up on Sunday morning. Those are great things to do and we have to do it. But what prevents burnout is in the midst of all that, practicing the discipline of solitude. Solitude is the best practice to help our mental health. There's been a lot of talk lately, especially in young ones, the mental health of young ones coming out of COVID and how much they're living in fear and anxiety because their parents are living in fear and anxiety. And some of that issue is solved and remedied by solitude with God. Why would we ever neglect this? And why wouldn't we want our children to learn how to practice this? Even for pastors, we got to get this right. When pastors don't get this right, their churches get it wrong. I read a statistic recently that said that, that the average pastor lasts five years. That was before COVID. After COVID, it's worse. And the primary reason it lasts so short so is because of pastoral burnout. Because most pra pastors don't practice this. There's so much talk and, and, and hype around, you know, small group and community group and doing life together. That, that might be great. But what I see in the Bible is not the emphasis on, hey, make sure you're getting together with other people and having some good wine and conversation. What I see in the Bible are God's people coming apart from everything else and engaging in solitude with themselves and with their creator. The book of Lamentations, I don't know if you've ever read it. It was written as Jerusalem was destroyed and they were lamenting at the destruction of, Jeru of Jerusalem. And Lamentations 3 says this. It, watch this. This is amazing to me. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man to bear the yoke while he's young. Let him sit alone in silence. <laughs> Pay attention. It's good to wait quietly. It's good for a man to bear the yoke, the heaviness, the burden. It's good for him to be alone in silence. This is solitude. What I know is that most young ones and old ones don't know how to wait 
And we don't know how to wait quietly. Because by gum, I tell you, if it's important enough and God makes me wait too long, I will shake the gates of heaven till God shows up and does something, right? Boy, you could preach that. That sounds biblical. That sounds faithful. That sounds like a man who's approaching the gates of God until God does something. I get no amen from that. But the Bible says it's also good to wait quietly. And we've not learned the practice of waiting quietly. And the Bible says it's good for them to bear the yoke, the weight. It's good to stand up under the burden for a bit. It's good that God doesn't take that away right now. It's good for you to bear up under that, to stand up under it, to carry the weight and the heaviness of it. It's good. Why? Because you learn that in solitude you can. Because God is with you. And you are with God. It's good to sit alone in silence. See, what I know is we are far too entangled by the inputs and the distractions of this world. And we need to practice biblical solitude. I want to help you understand the benefits of it and then how to do it. Psalm 112, 7 and 8. Those who practice the, the, the presence of God, those who practice this, the, this personal communion with the Father. They will have no fear of bad news. Their hearts are steadfast, trusting in the Lord. Their hearts are secure. They will have no fear. Listen. To have no fear of bad news. Not that bad news isn't coming. But you're not a slave to the fear of it. Ha, ha. To have hearts that are steadfast. To have hearts that are what I know. How many of us have lived in fear of bad news coming the past couple years? How many of us, in light of what has gone on in the world and in our country the past couple years, have felt unstable and insecure? Our culture, our society, our world, churches, Christ, have lived in fear and uncertainty all through COVID. I wonder, I wonder, I hope not, maybe it will. And all during that season, we lived with fear and noise, spouting off and listening to others spout off about all that was wrong and all that was fearful and all that we were missing out on, never once taking advantage of the blessing of solitude. Doesn't this sound like what we need? Solitude. And being alone in our time with Jesus is a remedy to all that. Because it's in solitude that we allow God to examine us in front of us. And it's in solitude that we get to know God so much more deeply than being at a Bible study and being in some Christian activity. It's in solitude 
where faith is strengthened, where hearts are renewed, where spirits are refreshed. It's in solitude that we get to spend time with the one who formed us and who loves us, who refocuses our heart on what's truly important and what's out of balance. So how do you do it? Thank you for asking. I'm going to tell you. We have to think in terms of solitude as the discipline of abstinence where we take away from and we abstain from all other things. And this is why solitude, the discipline of solitude is so contrary to a sitcom culture because the sitcom culture is all about instant gratification, personal pleasure, and entitlement. And solitude is a discipline of abstinence, of the removal of all those things. And it helps Jesus' disciples learn to be engaged more deeply with Him and His Word, which helps us then become more like Him, not just in our living, but in our thinking. See, disciples of Jesus, who want to grow as disciples, need time away from others, need time away from their phones, need time away from media, need time away from social media, need time away from the daily grind. It's the discipline of abstinence. And the discipline of solitude, this discipline of abstinence, all those things, is the best way to protect our lives from the worries of life that choke out God's word according to Mark chapter 4. And it's no wonder that church people are as anxious and angry and bitter and full of grudges as people who don't attend church and don't know Jesus. Because we haven't learned to practice this beautiful, profound discipline. My own experience in beginning to practice solitude started when I was in high school. I had just graduated from Mount Whitney in 1985. And I got a job delivering pizzas for Domino's. And in Visalia, in the summertime, as you understand here, it's very hot. And I had, as my delivery vehicle, my car, which was a 1964 Ford Falcon Sprint. I love that car. The problem with the 1964 Ford Falcon Sprint is that it's in Visalia in the summertime and it is hot. And the problem in a hot summer of Visalia in a 1964 Ford Falcon Sprint is that a 1964 Ford Falcon Sprint has no AC. And so the problem in Visalia in the summertime is a 1964 Ford Falcon Sprint with no AC is not only is it hot outside, but it's hot inside. The further problem that's exacerbated by a 1964 Ford Falcon Sprint pizza delivery guy in Visalia in the summertime is that back in those days, they made us pizza delivery guys wear polyester. The problem with polyester is it doesn't breathe. So now I got a 1964 Ford Falcon Sprint in the heat of my cell with no air conditioning with a scrub wearing polyester with hot pizza bags next beside me. The problem with that, with a 1964 Ford Falcon Sprint in the heat of my cell, we're super hot, wearing polyester with hot pizza bags. I was miserable. Now, 
to further exacerbate my misery, what was during arguably the greatest decade of American rock and roll history, the 80s, back in the day, there was no Bluetooth. There was no CDs. I had a radio and a cassette deck. And the problem in 1985 for a young pizza delivery boy who run polyester in 1964, four Falcons, is my radio and tape deck got stolen out of my car. <laughs> and so I know a guy who spent his summer in 1985 Wearing polyester, delivering hot pizza boxes in a 1964 Ford Falcon Sprint with no AC, who had nothing, no external input. Now, the thing about this guy is that he was a very young Christian, a very immature young Christian, but God used that time in my life to begin to develop this practice of solitude because I only had me and Jesus driving around Visalia for two months was not a bad summer at all. And I began the process of learning what it is to be quiet with no input for hours on end. In my undergrad study, I studied spiritual disciplines, not just in study, but in practice. And we practice the spiritual discipline of silence and the spiritual discipline of solitude. Sometimes try just 24 hours with no external stimuli and no talking and no people. Where your only interaction is Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Those experiences started to shape my own spiritual life. And I would engage and walk away from many times, but always come back to. So I want to teach you how to do it. You ready? I, I realize that most of what I preach on gets ignored by the vast majority of people, but I'm hoping that a, a couple of you will engage in this on a regular basis. So the first thing you do, Get alone without external input. It doesn't matter where it is. Be in your backyard, be in your house, be in a park. Be up, up in a, it doesn't matter. Just get alone without external input. This is a time for conversation with an unseen God. And so part of what you have to do is get, alone, get rid of all the scaffolding that surrounds your life. See, all of us live with all this scaffolding around us that we think are props to help us. Get rid of all of that. That means no phone. For, for, for some of you, to be separated from this, that's going to be anxiety enough. And I'm telling you, solitude does not exist with a cell phone in your pocket. It doesn't. And so leave this alone, turn it off again, and so, so you'll have no idea how crazy this is going. That, that'll, that'll, that'll challenge enough of you. Get away from that. Get away from people. Have no outside media, no music, no words. I'm not talking about getting away with some worship music in the background. I'm not talking about the Bible talk. I'm not, nothing. And at first it'll be difficult. Because why? Because we're conditioned for noise. At first for some of you, it's going to be very difficult because you're conditioned for noise. And you'll realize just how conditioned you are the moment everything gets quiet. 
But remember, if you got a good Bible, there's the story where God's voice was not in the wind and was not in the earthquake and was not in the fire. If you got a good Bible, it's going to remind you that God's voice was in the the whisper. I know this is different than listening to the Bible or your devotions while you're doing chores. It's not. It's different than that. This is different than listening to some podcast or music while you're driving. It's different. Get alone. Get quiet. The second thing is set aside a substantial amount of time. I'm not talking about five minutes. I got five minutes of solitude. That's not this. Here's what I know. The discipline of silence is not a commercial break in a sitcom life. So you see, most of us, we watch a show, like we may, the story is good, it's good, and then there's a little commercial break. I can't wait to get through that so I can get back to the story. That's not solitude. Like it isn't life, life, busy, busy, busy. I got five minutes here for God, and then, okay, I'm going to get through that, and I'm going to get back to life. That's not what we're talking about. I'm not going to tell you how much time, but it's got to be more than five minutes. The third thing is this. This is not about emptying your mind or about doing nothing. There's nowhere in Scripture that there's any type of biblical discipline or direction just to get empty your mind. That's not that's at all. That's Eastern meditation stuff, and it's not biblical. So we're not talking about emptying your mind, about doing nothing. If, if, if you were going to have interaction with someone that you're supposed to love, and you approach it just empty-minded as if it was just a nothing time, that would not convey love. So solitude is about filling our mind with the thoughts of God, with his word, talking to him and listening to him. And again, one of the reasons I think we don't naturally practice this is we don't like our own thoughts. We might not really like God's either. We don't know enough of the Bible to have thoughts about it. See, some of us haven't listened, haven't learned how to just listen to people we can see. How can we listen to a God we can't see? And so this is why it's so foreign to us. So here's my encouragement. Just start and learn how to do it as you go. You don't learn to do this in a class. You learn to do this by doing it. It's like all the good, all the fun things in life. You get better the more you do it. So just start. Get alone. Set some time and engage. Now, here's your homework. You ready? First thing you're going to do, you're going to choose that sometime during this next, I'll give you a month, sometime during this next month. You're going to set aside time and remove the noise and the inputs. Okay? Remove everything. The next thing you're going to do is ask the Holy Spirit to reveal what the Father desires to reveal about you or about Him. Holy Spirit, I give you permission. Reveal to me what Father wants me to know about me and about Him. I give you permission. Go ahead. I'm going to sit in silence until you do. And then... Talk to the Father about what He brings to the surface. Just talk to Him about what He brings to the surface. And honestly, 
If you feel like he brings nothing to the surface, talk to him about that. God, how come I can't hear you? How come he doesn't feel like you're bringing anything to my mind? Where am I in life that I've so removed myself from your presence that I can't even hear your voice anymore? You understand? So I'll tell you about the, my most recent time this past week when I spent time in solitude. Purposely set aside. No other inputs. And it was just in my backyard. And I was looking around and I began, t- telling, I began telling Father how grateful I was for his in- abundant blessing. I was just looking around my backyard. I became overwhelmingly aware of God's abundant blessing. I started telling Father, thank you for my swimming pool. Thank you for the trees that are super messy. Thank you for my dogs that are incredibly messy. Thank you for a healthy life to enjoy all this that you've given. And then as I sat there in solitude, feelings of incredible shame came over me. And the tendency when that starts happening is to push back against that. To convince our lives, why? no, 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 I'm not that. It's not that I... To get up and move so there's other noise and inputs, so we don't have to go there. But in solitude, press into those dark times. And I stayed there with Jesus. And I began to become reminded of how incredibly prideful and arrogant I'd become. Not just recently, but in the past as well. It's been a long time. About how ungrateful. I was about everything that he had gifted me with. I was ashamed and overwhelmed at the extent to which I'd taken advantage of God's grace. I said incredible feelings of shame and unworthiness. I became again aware of what a sinful heart I had an arrogant and prideful attitude. And what really struck me is when I realized what an arrogant prick I'd been to God. And my time in solitude this last time was a terrible experience. (laughs) And then it was so beautiful because it was through all of that that I again confess to God the chiefest of sinners that I am. And through that, it was again that I became and felt how forgiven I am. And then that realized and experienced again God's mercy and His grace in profound measure. Solitude. And we miss all of that because we stay busy and overburdened in a sitcom life. See, the beauty of this is not just for my benefit, for the individual's benefit. Because when there's this type of time in solitude, when we come out of that, 
we become kinder, more patient, and more tolerant with those around us. We don't respond as sharply as we wanted. We might still respond sharply, but not as bad. And it brings our heart back in balance. I become less demanding. I become more forgiving because I realize how much I've been forgiven. And this is the flip side of religion. And this is the lifestyle of a disciple. See, I'll just close with this. You and I need solitude. Because Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me, that's what happens in solitude. And I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can't do a darn thing. Why would we neglect this spiritual discipline? Solitude is remaining in Christ. You and I need solitude. Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. You need more than a nap. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me because I'm gentle and humble in heart. What I put on you is gentle. You'll find rest for your souls. My yoke, my burden, it's easy and light. See, this is not, solitude is not an optional practice for the growing disciple of Jesus. You can be a disciple of Jesus, just not growing. All you got to do is not practice this. But for the growing disciple of Christ, this is a necessary practice. See, what I know is this. I'm a better me after time spent in solitude with him. That's what I know about me. If you're not a disciple of Christ yet, I'm telling you right now that you will continually be searching after something you will never find until you find it in Him. And if you are a Christ follower but not practicing solitude, you are forever missing out on some of the sweetest times where you get to experience heaven on earth. It's an old hymn written in 1922. Some of you old folks might remember it. Used to sing it in churches. Not so much anymore. It's a good one, though. The first part of it goes like this Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. I was going to sing it to you, but it would have ruined your morning. (laughs) I want you to pray with me. Father, I thank you. I thank you that you love us and that you want so much to be with us, so much so that you sent your son to this world and called him Emmanuel, God with us. Forgive us for how we've neglected the desire to be with you. Some of us have traded busyness for intimacy schedules for solitude. And Father, we're searching for something we will never find apart from time with you. For those of us who know you, Holy Spirit, I ask 
that in this moment you would impress upon us both the need and give us the desire to practice solitude. Not because it makes us better, but just because we desire time with you. Would you give us a desire and a want to obey you in this? And as we do, I pray that you would respond as the lover of our souls, as the indweller of our lives, as our comforter, our counselor, our guide, our helper, our teacher, and our intercessor. Father, I know that there's some here who don't know you, some of them sound of my voice who don't know you yet. Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd speak to them, that you'd help them realize that what they're searching for, they will never find apart from you. And friends, if that's one of you out there, if, that, if that's one of you that, that this is all foreign, you've never heard God talk because you don't even have a relationship with Him, so how can you hear His voice? I would invite you. As much as you don't know, as much as you don't understand, to in faith respond with what does make sense. And in this moment, what you do know that you've lived differently than God's Word says. The Bible calls that sin. So with what you do know, respond in faith. Say, God, I'm sorry for my sin. Do whatever it is you do to forgive me of that and take that away. I don't know much, but I do know that I'm asking you Come into my life and to lead me. And I'll do the best I can to follow. Father, I pray that you would respond to the sincerity of heart. And for those of us who choose to follow, give us the ongoing desire to come apart with you before we come apart. In your name I pray, Jesus. Amen.